Hello, and welcome to an unconventional guide to success, where we are exploring concepts and discussing real life examples, showing that the path isn't linear and the journey to success is self-defined. My name is Linda Misagatis. And I'm Scott Montgomery. And we will be your guides. For me at WorldGate, we create a culture that allows people not only the behaviors, but an environment to find the joy, if we want to use that analogy, or find the happiness through some behaviors that we have fine-tuned over the years. And I wonder... Yes. Yeah. And and so that culture is also another, and for me, a final component that's really important to putting all these pieces together. And I totally agree with you. Yeah. It's not always... It's where I spend a lot of my time at WorldGate. And so therefore, I felt like it was the best place to do it. At home, it's Sunday night dinners, phones are off. It's Sunday night, uh, what do we call it? The no phone zone family meeting. And okay, I like that. Part of our culture. And yeah. another part of our culture is you've got these chores that you have to do and their habits and they have to be yeah. true to them. And the other thing you have to do is set your goals high enough that your grades are meeting the mark for the school you're in, right? So it all comes together at home, but then here at work, We need you to be a continual learner. We need you to be on top of your communication. When you get a job at WorldGate, where I spend a lot of my time, you also Mm -hmm. get this tent card that talks about the WorldGate way and the behaviors that encourage a culture that should allow you to help find your happiness or your joy. Right. Absolutely. No, I think that's good. Well, and I know that you chose to end the book with the World Gateway. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about that, because I know I've seen your tent card. Um, I've read your tent card. I know all about your uh, the World Gateway. Um, but like when you think about that, how do you take that? Because why I would say this when I hear this with companies, even the companies that I've worked for, is that um, you can't force a culture. Right. You can't say our culture is this. And then it, that's what it right. is just because I said it is right. <laughs> right, um, right, so right. It, it's, you kind of have to allow a culture to develop, you grow and, and foster and nurture it in a way that you want it, it want, want the culture to be, but you can't just say it. So what actions are you taking, you know, as a leader, as an entrepreneur um, to kind of help drive that culture in a way so that it isn't just something we say, it's actually something that it it is. If someone were to come into WorldGate today, that they would go, wow, I can really feel this World Gateway culture. I see it. Well, and so I do, I do think, uh, well, so first of all, Caitlin did a phenomenal job adapting our cultural behaviors to the World Gateway so that it's an easy thing to recognize yeah. in a discussion point, right? So okay. we, we put it as a placeholder. And one of the reasons we did that is that a lot of the folks that came into the leadership team that might not be de- demonstrating what Caitlin and I thought were our cultural behaviors was because they said to us one day, more recent than I, uh, I'm proud to admit, well, what are you talking about? I, I'm not meeting your culture, but what is the culture? And Caitlin oh, and I looked wow. at each other and went, oh boy, how do we disseminate yeah. this? So right. the tent, the tent card... And the uh, the acronym for World Gateway, meaning these behaviors, the last component of it was we tried to pick behaviors. And I know Caitlin, again, worked really hard on all of this, that were open-ended behaviors that fostered okay. that fostered the find that we just talked about. Okay. Yeah. Continual learner. That's a behavior, not a request. 
It's got it. You know, you, what are you going to be a continual learner in is on you, not me. Right. But if you're a right. continual learner, I'm going to foster that by saying, here's $500 a year for you to go take a class somewhere. Mm-hmm. Here's also a path for you to communicate your opinions on how the business runs. And so they integrate now. You're starting to see the integration of communication versus happiness versus finding versus culture, right? Right, and, right. And so it compounds. How responsible are How accountable are you? How welcoming are you to new ideas? How adaptable are you? How generous are you? And how ethical are you, right? These are all very open-ended behavioral traits that right. one that one we train on, two, we try and create a common language in, but three, allow people to bring their own perspective to that. Yeah. And then they so find that was it. Gonna be, well, and that was going to be my next question is then, you know, thinking about, do you actually then try to hire people who already um, emulate the behaviors of the World Gateway? Or do you find people who you feel are going to be open to to actually um, wanting to be a part of the World Gateway? So I'm curious, like, what, what's your tactic on trying to, to find the right people to fit into the organization? So um, there's there's no rhyme or reason to a tactic. I will say first and foremost, the be ability to perform the work and the ability to uh, to adapt a cultural behavior is typically vetted out in the interview process. Okay. They don't have to bring a yes and perspective to the table, but there would be an imagery of I want to learn and I want to improve in a yes and scenario that can be vetted in an interview process. The other thing that we are evolving and that we continue to get better at is evaluating in the annual reviews what cultural behaviors have been exhibited and what is the reward system for said cultural behaviors being exhibited. We also have nominations and a monthly award for whoever demonstrated it best voted in by their peer group. So the company says, we're getting ready to do our World Gateway accountability, and that's a behavior, but we're doing our World Gateway reward system this month. Please nominate who you think this month's accountability should go to. Okay. And we get our nominations, and then the executive team reads through them, and a lot of factors go into, all right, the winner is, and they get a gift card. They get cash for exhibiting yeah. that behavior. And we're hoping that finds a little joy and happiness, but that the process also teaches them how to find a, what's important to them and what their happiness will be while they're here at WorldGate. And lastly, I will say our Glassdoor reviews typically demonstrate positivity as a result of that cultural being something important, that cultural behavioral style being important to our employees. So we're exhibiting it. It's it's really matters. No, that does. I think that makes a big difference. Um, And, you know, when you think back in some of the organizations that you've worked for, I'm curious, because I actually think that culture has only become an important component in the business world probably in the last maybe three to five years. Um, you know, we always talked about culture and, co- but I don't think there was no culture in my opinion. I mean, at least in the companies that I worked for, I would say that if I look back, I wouldn't go, wow, I could see the culture of the earth because it just wasn't that important. But I, I do think that over the last three to five years, culture has become important. And I hear that a lot of times in, in people that are looking for jobs today, when yeah. I do, when I'm interviewing people who even want to come and work for me, um, that what will we do talk about culture and how do you define culture and what's important to you in the organization that you work for. So like, what do you think, 
like, why do you think culture has become so important? And, and like, I know why it developed for you, but why do you kind of think that culture has become well, so important? So there's three components to what you just said that I, one, I'm going to disagree with you that it's only been three to five years. And I also don't know your perspective on that three to five mm-hmm. years. But my perspective is I learned a lot about culture in my early career plays at Verizon, which was a fortune 25 company. So maybe the bigger okay. companies have been doing culture longer than maybe the smaller companies you might have been referring to. I don't know. But one of the big things that was really important to us at working at Verizon in the years I was there, when it was Bell Atlantic even, was the be here now cultural behavior. Mm. Be here now taught meant to everyone in certain scenarios, be in the conversation, be in the quest for betterment, be in the marketing strategy conversation, be here now was a cultural behavior that really made a difference to how I view cultural behaviors because it was tangible, it applied across the line, and I could bring my own perspective to what that meant. Okay. Okay. So so that's one thing. Two, I think that um, it is really important to bring something that can be named and not something I'm fostering, but that we're as a collective agreeing to as a culture. And so the evolution of these cultural tent card behaviors at WorldGate wasn't a Scott mandate at all. Mm-hmm. It right. was a it was a collective agreement from very smart people. I had a board of advisors that worked in different agencies that came in and supported our firm and actually helped us develop some of these. Right. So they're they're more about how you operate than they are a WorldGate benefit. It's just a benefit that we expect you to operate within some sort of a, a cultural behavior. And here are sure. some here are some guidelines that we're going to reward you on, and we're going to we're going to evaluate your performance on, and help you get better yeah. on, and pay to train so you think, on. Yeah. No, and that makes sense. Well, and I maybe where where I disagree with you on the two to where I say three to five years is because in my experience, and I you know I work for some really large companies um, throughout my career and some small companies, and I did not feel that culture existed because to me, culture means you care about the people side of it. And I would argue that it's only been in the last three to five years that there has been more of a real focus on the people side of business versus the productivity, the efficiency, the money side of it. And that, you know, and whether it was, uh, and I don't, you know, we all, it's a great, it's easy to hang everything on COVID. um, But I think that that shift had started to occur. And I think part of that shift had started to occur, frankly, because of the a younger generation coming up is that what was important to them. And we talk about this a lot of times because, you know, I support government and government is one of those mission driven um, type of Mm -hmm. fields that you go into, right? You don't go into government because you're going to make a bunch of money, Um, (laughs) um, you know, unless you're a politician, I suppose. But, um, but if you're, if you're going to work and support in the public sector, it's not because you're going to, um, be a millionaire. Um, but the reason why you do it is because um, it's very focused on uh, mission-driven work and there's a there's a real human element to it. And I don't feel like for many years there was a human element to corporate America. And I do think that that is start, something that I think is starting to come into play more as maybe employers have realized that it is people 
who work for them, and that it's really important that we do take some time to recognize that. So yeah. maybe that's where I look. Because I would agree with you. Yes, I've worked for many companies, and they all had a culture statement. We all said, yeah. this is what our culture is. But that culture rarely involved the people side of it as more as it was the culture of delivery, the culture of customer service, but customer service was because we wanted our customers to be happy because it would raise our, our, our revenues. Exactly. Not because we necessarily cared about the people side of it. And so I guess that's maybe where my, where I, where I was phrasing that from like three to five years is where I thought it. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I can actually agree with you because you touched then also on COVID where what's interesting to me is our core values here, our cultural behaviors are starting to get dated in the notion that people are starting to say culture matters such that I only want to be in the office two days a week. And I'm going, yeah. wait, is that a cultural behavior or is that a perk and benefit? Yes. So right. I, no, it's true. So so that shift and that ever evolving yeah. to your point and mine about be here now could have been about be here now so we can make the bottom line better. Whereas yeah. now, like, so what is culture and what is perk and benefit and what is yes. driven to drive revenue? I don't know. Yes. It's a slippery no, slope. And you're right. They kind of, <laughs> yeah, it kind of all gets melded. And you're right. I think that that's a really good point because there has now been almost like a, um, a demand, right? Yeah. Um, so with yeah. the, the hybrid, um, work environment or remote work environments, uh, I was just reading an article this morning about that and how now, you know, if, month or so or so ago, you most jobs had a remote uh, component to it. We're starting to see now where that that's getting pulled back. And there's this demand, well, I'm not going to work for a company that's going to require right. me to come into the office type of thing. And so it's a really good point on is that a culture or is that a benefit? Um, and is it an appropriate demand? Um, you know, right. because sometimes well. businesses can and sometimes they can't, but we're finding, you know, there's a shortage of employees right now as well. So, yeah. um, so it, it's creating an interesting dynamic and it all does feel, uh, feed in. And it's also kind of left me in a position as I think about companies as, uh, what is the responsibility? So, you know, we've talked about leadership and one of the, one of uh, been commenting on several posts on LinkedIn lately on this whole thing around the responsibility that's falling on the shoulders of managers as it comes to employees' mental health and mental well-being. And while I can appreciate that there's a role that we play in a leadership, in a, as an employer, um, again, a, a different thing on the human element, right? Yeah, but yeah. at the end of the day, um, if we're not going to then ensure that we provide people with the right skills um, in in order to be in that position, then you're putting an unfair imposition on those people that are in those leadership roles to somehow be responsible for other individuals when they're not properly equipped to be responsible for other individuals in that circumstance. So that's been an interesting dynamic to me too, is like how much responsibility does an employer really play in that whole thing? And then is that a culture of the organization? Is that a benefit of the organ? Is it a mandate of the organization? And that's right. kind of where I've been finding myself lately is really kind of scratching my head a little bit because I do feel like suddenly there has been a real push of this um, entitlement mm -hmm. of you, if you want me to come work for you, these, these this is my list of demands, right. um, you know, and that, and, okay. um, and I just, you know, and it's like, how much of that is appropriate and how much of that is, um, you know, a societal pressure that we've suddenly put on employers to, uh, to meet those demands. So it does expand, it, it runs the gamut. And it's funny because I, um, 
I think just to bring it back home to the book, it's about culture allowing you the space to what you were saying earlier, find your success, right? Yeah. And take so so one of the, the behaviors that we tried to create is a way to sort of create the space while you're doing work to find your best self in that work or find your best self outside the company. But it's yeah. important for us to foster that find through all those other things. So that's where when you said you were curious about how I put it at the end of the book and how it puts a wrapper around all of it. Yeah, that, that's how. But it is very interesting because there should be another book. And maybe there's another series of podcasts to talk about the difference between demand, per yes. and culture. Yeah. <laughs> right? right? No, it's true. <laughs> yeah, 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 it is. It's a, it, you're absolutely right. And there could definitely be um, a, a sequence to this for sure. Uh, we are a sequel to this. Yeah, we come yeah, back yeah. to say, <laughs> let me now define all of these different components. But you know, this has been an interesting journey um, yes. in this first uh, in this first season to really great. kind of go through. And I've loved. Um, um, really being able to dissect the book and get to know you even better. And, and I hope that we're able to take our experiences and that, you know, that others will learn from those. I hope so. But if you, if you kind of like, look like what final thoughts would you want to, to leave? Cause you have a chapter in your book that is final thoughts. So, you know, the world gateway I, I implied was the last chapter in the book, but it really isn't. You kind of go into final thoughts. So, well, so talk a little bit about that. I think, I think we've really touched on a lot of my final thoughts, and it is the wrapper I'd like to put on the whole book and the notion that, you know, I, I, I did this book so that people in the very beginning, I talk about how the pressures of maybe not following a conventional path or the pressures of being told you're going to go to an Ivy League school and this is how we're going to get you there yeah. are not always how you find success. Yeah. Right? You've got odds, you've got communication, you've got habits, you've got goals, you've got personality, you've got relationships, you have partnerships, you have culture, you have leadership obstacles and hurdles. But what I really, what I think is really important in all of this is that there is an underlying subtlety to every chapter that I'm hoping gets exposed for the individual reader. My anecdotes, our conversation, your anecdotes, they're just an expression of how we applied the concepts of the chapters, right? So my hope is that people read this and don't try and emulate necessarily everything we're doing, but recognize that there's something important in that header that might they want to improve on could help them lead to their success. The reason I gave so many detailed stories was one, to help understand the inferred, but two, I want to give this to my children as a, as a legacy piece. I want my children yeah. to really understand what they might have been witnessing since they were two all the way to 17. It really is an encapsule. Uh, it's, it's a capsule of the last 15 years and the journey I've been on and some experiences that occurred before they even showed up. Yes. So it serves yeah. many purposes. And most exciting for me is it brought us together on a different level. It brings us together on a different language. And there's another layer of trust that gets facilitated such that we feel we can even bring someone else in to talk about it is huge for me. And the power of that is a final thought, right? Just the power of that is a final thought. What happens, we can't predict. But, right. the, but the beauty in the dialogue and the beauty of the common understanding and the beauty of the inferred messages around these very important headers that aren't always found in a curriculum somewhere or introduced by a mentor are now yeah. out there in this book. And I really appreciate yeah. you asking me that because see how small it is. It's a little manual. It's a quick read, yeah. but it's yes. action packed. 
No, I love it. Well, I have really enjoyed learning. How did you get here? And I will leave our listeners with a reminder uh, to go out to uh, to your website, uh, www.howdidyougethere.com, where you. there's some additional great resources and tools um, really to think about this. And, um, you know, I can't wait for the next season where we bring uh, more people uh, to the table to learn about their unconventional guide to su- a road to success, really, yeah, yeah. Um, and how they got here. So, um, so thank you again, Scott. This has been an amazing journey. Yeah, thank you, Linda. I'm looking forward to it and uh, onward and prosper, right? Absolutely. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed our final episode of the season of An Unconventional Guide to Success. In each episode, Scott and I have discussed and shared experiences and relationships that have shaped us. We are excited to share that we will be coming back for a second season full of special guests discussing real-life examples showing that the path isn't linear and the journey to success is self-defined. An Unconventional Guide to Success is an inspirational, motivated series hosted by Scott Montgomery and Linda Misogatis, recorded on Riverside.fm, music, editing, and production by Logan Misogatis. Check out Scott Montgomery's new book, How Did You Get Here?, and all the helpful related materials at www.howdidyougethere.com. Thank you for joining us on our journey. If you would like to reach out to us, our contact information is in the show notes. At the end of each episode, we would like to leave you with a few questions offered to guide you in your personal exploration of how relationships and experiences are building your success. Take time to reflect and write about what arises. What values and behaviors do you want to define for your business? How can articulating your culture support your company's success? What is the greatest lesson you are taking away from this story?